Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Coco Express Network. Talk radio that informs. Talk radio that inspires. Talk radio that enlightens. Talk radio for us all. shows that I've watched so far. This one seems to be one of the most interesting because it displays and depicts the things that we need to see on TV. And the women involved in this show are just amazing and dynamic and just really they're educated, they're smart, they're working. You see all the things you need to see. Now, our guest today is Jolanda Jones. Jolanda Jones is I have to say, she encompasses everything. If you think about the song um, Shaka Khan did it originally and Whitney Houston, I'm Every Woman, she is truly every woman. And she is uh, a business owner, an attorney. Um, she is an activist. She's an analyst. She's a scholar. She's a former athlete. And many of you may know her from the, uh, the reality show uh, Survivor back in 2005. Well, she's with us today, and there's so many things that she is involved in, and we only have a little bit of time to be able to cover all those things, but we want to get to know more about her and how she became so passionate about all of her activities and involvement. So please allow me the opportunity to bring to you Jolanda Jones. Hey. Hello. Really hey. You. <laughs> I am Okay, so I'm really laughing. First of all. I want to thank you for having me on, and I've got to tell you, I've got a smile across my face like you wouldn't believe, um, because, like, my theme song for me is I'm Every Woman. Like, Get out. <laughs> and I was like, dude, did I put that somewhere? Did she go, like, look, I mean, I don't know if I put that anywhere, but that's, like, my definition for me. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't see it anywhere. It's just that's what I pulled out of everything that I was able to read and look at. Well, that's my song. It's all mine. right, it's all right. To me. <laughs> it is you too. I have to say, you know, I wanted to say thank you, thank you for um, the image that you are portraying. And I know it's reality TV, so it's not really that you're playing anything; you are being yourself. So, and I thank you, and I thank you. And I thank all of the women who are on this reality show, Sisters-in-Law, because this is important for us to see. And Well, you're welcome, and thank you for appreciating that, because that is why I agreed to do this project, which initially I was hesitant about. So mm-hmm. I, I'm thankful that, that you basically embodied in what you just said the reason why I agreed 
over my trepidation to do sisters-in-law. Mm-hmm. I, well, I'm glad. I'm really glad you decided to do it. Now, we're going to roll it back a little bit, and um, okay. we're going to talk about your beginnings, you know, and this will explain how and why you're so passionate with all of the things that you're involved in now. Okay. What okay, do you want to so, know? Um, well, your childhood, what was that like? It was really difficult. Um, it was really hard to get through. Um, my dad was brilliant, went to Vietnam, came back, wasn't himself, and he made a decision to commit suicide. He killed himself, and I was in the room with him. When he did it, he shot himself in the temple, in the right temple, um, which changed the trajectory of my family's life because all of a sudden I went from a family with a mom and a dad who took care of me to a family led by a single mother. My mother went on to have four more children. Our life was just hard. We got evicted a lot. Oftentimes we didn't have lights or water or or gas. Um, our house burned down. Our rent house burned down because my mom didn't own a home. Our rent house burned down. Uh, when I was in 10th grade, we were using candles instead of electricity, and I just had a lot of shame when I was younger. We didn't have food. Some, like we, sometimes the only food I got in the day was lunch at school. I uh, qualified for free breakfast at the CUNY Homes, which was, I now know it's Section 8 housing. Uh, at the time, I didn't. It's just where the poor people lived. My aunt lived there, and that's where I uh, went to catch a bus to go to school. So life was really difficult. My brother was murdered. My aunt was murdered. In addition to my dad committing suicide, two of my two of his brothers also committed suicide. So my grandmother lost three sons to suicide. I could tell you stories. So many people in my family are on welfare. A number of my cousins have gone to prison. A number of my cousins, a lot of my cousins have been murdered. In fact, one of my cousins was murdered when I was on city council. So I just put it in my mind that I was not going to live as an adult like I lived as a child. Although I'm a survivor of uh, incest or molestation by my uncle. I'm a survivor of domestic abuse. I'm a survivor of rape by someone in college. So just a lot of stuff. Well, you know, you are a survivor, period. And, you know, having all of that, all and that is a lot. And the simple fact that we're having this conversation right now and you're doing all the things you're doing is a testament to who you are internally. And you are one strong woman. Thank you. My mother would love to hear that. My grandmother would have been ecstatic to hear that. (laughs) Yes, indeed, because a lot of us would be someplace in a padded room by that time, if not already gone, because that's a lot. I hear that a lot. lot I hear that a lot. So I I actually um, am a member of the National Speakers Association. I've flown all over this country speaking to people about how to overcome obstacles, basically life skills training, um, how to do conflict resolution, how to see the light at the end of the tunnel or know there's light at the end of the tunnel even if you don't see it, just how to deal with things when they hit you, how to see past them. So I, I tend to have that skill set. My sister and I have a sister who just graduated from medical school a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about that ourselves. A lot of people would be 
Well, I could very easily be dead like my dad by suicide because life was really hard. But my sister and I say we just have really tremendous coping skills. A lot of people start using drugs to self-medicate when things when they're not happy, and we just learn to, to get through it. And I can give you an example of how we were raised with my mother that I think um, epitomizes at least how I look at things and how my sister who just graduated from medical school looks at, at things. When our house burned down when I was in 10th grade, um, and I'm the oldest of five, and we were fortunate that nobody died, and we were fortunate that we got out of the house and my mom was able to find her car keys because in a fire it's really, really, really dark and it's full of black smoke. And like I said before, by the grace of God, we were able to get out. But my mom literally called all of our friends. So, for example, my, my best friend at the time was a, a, one of my teammates named Wendy Pena. My mom called the Pena's and asked if I could come spend the night over there. She dropped me off over there. She dropped each one of my siblings off at one of their friends' houses, and we all went to school the next day um, as if we didn't have a fire the night before. And we'd lost everything. And I remember wearing some of Wendy's clothes to school, and she was much shorter than me. And I remember people at school asking me or saying, commenting that they smell smoke. And I remember just saying, oh, our house burned down last night because of an electrical short, which is not true. We didn't have electricity, and we were using candles, and that's why the house burned down. But we just kept it moving, you know, Things happen and you keep it moving, and that's what my mother taught us. You're going to school the next day. I don't care if the house burned down. I don't care if you lost everything. You're going to school, and that's mm. just what we did. So, you know, that reminds me. It, there was how can I put this? When I was growing up, my grandmother used to always talk about you know you have these survival instincts in you. They're built into your DNA, and you don't know that you have them until you need them. Um. Maybe. I mean, maybe, because there are a lot of people who don't live through tragic things. I mean, for example, my dad, you know, he blew his brains out, and two of my uncles blew their brains out. So I actually think, I don't know that we're necessarily born with it. I think that we can be taught to get through difficult things, mm-hmm. but I think that, that getting through difficult things and having someone there when you're going through it to help you see that you can get through it develops a skill set that you can use later as opposed to parents who baby their children and, you know, those are the main ones that can't cope. And those are the ones who have a bunch of problems when they grow up because they were never given the opportunity to struggle. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, you hear it sounds so cliche that struggles build, build character. But you know, I was talking to somebody earlier today about, I did another interview with another uh, media outlet, and they brought up Rhonda, about, you know, just because we're definitely different. And, mm-hmm. you know, whereas I embrace my struggle because I absolutely believe I wouldn't be fearless, you know, relentless and, and goal-driven had it not been from the terrible things that I lived through and overcame. And so I embrace that part of me. And uh, and I I embrace the streets. I, I embrace the quote unquote ghetto in me, um, as opposed to some people who try to act like it didn't happen. And so I, so like one of one of my 
one of the people that I looked up to, he's no longer with us, my Uncle Charles, who uh, went to prison at a very young age and was in there for a very long time. And my uncle was born premature. I, if I remember correctly, I think my grandmother told me he was born at four or five months gestation. So mm. he was, I guess, not developed. And so he was blind. He was legally blind. And so he had that to deal with. And when he went to prison and he did his time, flat time, he served all of his time when he was locked up. And when he got out, nobody would give him a job. Like my uncle literally was disabled. And he literally got on the bus every day for like 10 years to try to find a job even though he technically paid his debt to society, society never gave him a chance. And then, mm-hmm. you know, after 10 years of trying to, you know, find a job the right way, he started, you know, hustling. And then people ask me, like, how could you look up to him? Because I can't say that I would, you know, try to get a job every day for like 10 years and know that I, you know, the stuff that I did, I did when I was young. We, I had an, you know, a grandfather who was, abusive to his children, my dad and and his siblings. And so they had a lot to overcome. And so there are reasons for why he did what he did. But society was unrelentingly, you know, unforgiving of him. So, and so I respect that he tried, you know, even Mm -hmm. though the battle was never going to be won. So I was, so you don't have to be like the richest person for me to respect you. You know, I'm going to respect you if you struggle, or I'm going to respect you if you fall down and you figure a positive way to learn from it. You know, that's just who I am. Um, would you con- Would you consider yourself a warrior? Oh, absolutely. That's also a self-definition of mine. In fact, my moniker from the moment I started practicing law was warrior lawyer. All right. Yeah, I'm a All right. Yeah, if you started, I am going to finish it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay. Now we take all of these things, we put them together. Now we know that you have a strong work work ethic because of the things you've just kind of told us about your your um your past, and uh-huh. you became an athlete. Now, um, what was that like for you? Oh, athletics ended up being one of my keys out of poverty. I mean, I, it also, athletics also opened my eyes to a worldview. It turns out I started doing sports only because I noticed that the kids who, who did after school activities, you know, got to be away from home longer. They didn't have to go. And and my home life, if you'll recall, was, was not good. So I was trying to find anything to keep me from, um, from having to go home. So and it turns out, I mean, and I guess I should have known it, because um, I used to beat boys when I was little outside playing dodgeball or kickball or football or tag or Marco Polo or, or hide-and-go-seek. I would always beat the boys. And so when I got in sports, I just was extremely athletic. <laughs> and, uh, and then I ended up winning state championships. Uh, individually, like I was the only person in Texas to win a state team championship as an individual. I used to be the Texas record holder in the high jump. I was on the USA track and field team. I won three national championships, three NCAA championships, and one United States championships. And so I got to travel all over the world and and learn that the world was much bigger than Houston, Texas, and I'm um, in represent America. And, 
and meet people from all over. And you know, like the very first international trip I made was to Kobe, Japan. I competed in the World University Games, um, which was which is like the Olympics for college, mm-hmm. you know, students. And you know, so yeah, I, athletics. And I was also an All-American in basketball, and I was All-State in cross country. And so I, I think when God was handed out athletic ability, I probably got mine like 12 times. But <laughs> I, I won. Yeah, I was really like a beast. Like I was the only girl I know in the 80s who could dunk a basketball, and I'm the only girl I know who got called for goaltending. And so you have to pretty much be able to leap uh, yeah. to be able to go tend. So, yeah, oh, yeah. Was, so, and I actually had the opportunity to play in the WNBA the first year of the league in 96, but by that time I was a baby lawyer and I wasn't going to quit my job to work to, you know, to play in a league that paid $7,500 to the lowest paid athlete. And the only ones that made $50,000 a year were Cynthia Cooper, Cheryl Swoops, you know, Lisa oh, Leslie, and, I, and, and mm-hmm. I was making more than that. So, but I was, you know, when I, when I was lived in Spain, uh, my son was born in Spain. My ex-husband, who abused me, was a professional athlete. They actually uh, offered me a contract paying $95,000 to play in the women's league there, professional league, but my ex-husband didn't want for me to play, and I didn't play. So I was, yeah, I was, I'm, I, well, I guess I still am athletic. I, I hear that I look like I can still do sports. Believe me, I'm over 50 and I can't, but I hear I look like that. <laughs> I'd pro- you probably are a lot better at things than most, but oh, yeah. at least I mean, you admit I, yeah. to it. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, now, I mean, I no, no, I did karate. I won gold medal in AU. You know, you fight age group, and you know, I'm fighting mm-hmm. in my forties. I'm fighting women in their forties. I'm probably going to annihilate them because I am really athletic. But compared to what I used to be, I'm not there. But I'm, yeah, I'm I'm pretty athletic. <laughs> I'm in a bunch guys. of halls of fame. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm in a bunch of halls of fame. I'm in a hall of fame with Bill Russell, um, Leroy Selman, mm-hmm. uh, Bill Walton. In fact, Andre Agassi just got inducted into the hall of fame that I'm in last year. Shane Battier. So All yeah, right. I'm. I was a pretty decent athlete. <laughs> yeah, you say it humbly. I was pretty decent. You were amazing. <laughs> Thank you. So I You're welcome. I'm slightly competitive. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. When they tested us on Survivor, they do psychological testing of everybody mm-hmm. on that show. Uh, the psychologist said that I was more alpha male. I was as alpha male as any alpha male ever on that show, male or female. So I'm pretty, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Now, how did that come about? How did you wind up doing Survivor? Um, I don't think I wound up doing it. I've seen maybe three or four different episodes from different seasons, and I thought the show was just about surviving, and I think I'm a perfect example of a survivor. Uh, what I didn't appreciate was that it was about a social game, and I had, and I didn't know that. But, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, I was, my body is, back then I was bigger, so my body is physically intimidating. I'm six foot, uh, you know, back in the day I was benching like 235, 
and I mean that's a lot of weight for a girl. Oh yeah. To lift, <laughs> and I mean I was just a beast, and I have an extreme. I'm extremely competitive, but I have an extremely strong personality. So I think that I was built for that, and you know I'm athletic. They do, and back then I I was more athletic then than I am now. Because oh, when you get older, you just have aches and pains that you didn't used to have. <laughs> it's just the truth. So, oh, I know. Um, so it just, I mean, they interviewed me, and, and it's my understanding that it's very hard to get on the show. And I got on the second time I applied. But, um, I mean, I definitely, if, if, if someone says something like about the Confederate, the Confederacy, like, you know, now I'm on the school board and, there's a video that went viral um, last week of me talking about the slave trade, the Middle Passage, how the, how the Confederacy was a crime against humanity, and which is why I proudly voted to change the name of schools named after Confederate soldiers. The video went viral because I'm extremely passionate about the things that I believe in. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I had like 1.8 million views on Facebook and like almost 40,000 shares, which my understanding is, is unusual for like a regular Joe show like me. And the people on the on on Facebook, I don't, they didn't realize I was on Sisters in Law. Sisters in Law, you know, just had its first season. But you know, somebody on Survivor say something crazy. I'm probably going to challenge them. So, <laughs> well, that I mean, that's great. I'm. I know that you. Your experience with Survivor made you leery about um, reality TV because you... Oh, absolutely. Kind of, yeah, because of the way that they depicted you. Um, what, well, and you know how, what's crazy is... Well, because what's crazy is when we were interviewing, you have to go through all these processes, go to these cities and interview. And when I made it to the top 50, they, there's, it's called the finals. They pick 50 people who are in the running in the cast. And they fly you to L.A. and and you interview with people, and one question that was asked to me, and if I said the name of the person who asked it, you'd all know who the person is, so so I'll say that. I won't say that, but one question that was asked, for, asked to me is black women on TV are portrayed as bitches. How would you feel if you were portrayed as a bitch? And my answer was, you know, I think all women under certain circumstances could probably be a bitch, but I also think that all women under the right circumstances could be happy and loving and funny and, and caring and, and all these things that make humans human. And so I hope that you would, you know, show all of me. And what I did not understand was they have characters for people, right? And that's how they portray you. So it did not surprise me. That's when I learned about Frankenbiting. That's when they can take something you say under one context mm-hmm. and put it somewhere else and you think somebody said something and they didn't. And and mm-hmm. I know that I tend to intimidate people because physically I hear I'm intimidating and I project when I speak and I look you dead in your eyes when I speak to you. And so I, I made a conscientious effort to preface everything I said with, hey, you guys, what do you think about this? Or, hey, you guys, what do you think about that? And then I would say whatever. And they literally cut off the, hey, you guys, what do you think about it? So everything I said sounded like I was ordering people to do stuff. And I was amazed. Wow. 
the role for me always was to be the angry black woman, and that really wasn't me. So, of course, I was concerned about that on Sisters-in-Law. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they, interestingly, they found people with different personalities. You know, mm-hmm. they found the activist. You know, I'm an activist. I think Monique is a budding activist, but I've been an activist for 30 years. Actually, more than that, because I started being an activist in my teens. So they found people, you know, we're all women lawyers, so you have to have a certain kind of psyche to be a lawyer. But they found us, you know, Rhonda worships the money, I'm Miss Frugal. You know, Rhonda drives a Bentley, I drive a Kia Soul. It's the first new car I've ever owned in my 50 years on this earth. Um, so, you know, and then they, you know, found Vivian, who needs the world to adore her, otherwise she's mad at you, you know, and takes credit for everything, you know, everybody does, whether she really helped them or not. You know, you know then you've got T.A., who loves fashion and who's wealthy. She and her husband have successful law practices, but, but she doesn't tell you how much money she has. You know, and she's a baby lawyer, so she's got to try to prove herself in her field. You know, so you've got different people with different personalities on the show, so it sort of, it just sort of works because we're all different. Yes, I noticed that. I mean, it's not like you have two of the same type of character. Each one of you brings a different element, a different type of element to the circle that you have. Yeah, and I don't know how a black power would. <laughs> <laughs> I am. It I'm makes- I'm the black power. I was raised like that. So, yeah, that, that would be me. Mm-hmm. And it makes a very interesting TV. But one thing I can say is the thing that they do not show on TV, which your your show does show, is black women going to work. I've not yeah, seen too many reality shows of black women actually going to work and actually shows you working and the work that you do. And for me... That was such a positive note. And I'm like, this is so important for people to see that, yeah, they go to work and they actually work. And the work that they're doing is really um, helping save people's lives in the process. Yeah, that, again, that's another reason why I agreed to do it because, you know, we joke that we're not on TV because we have some viral video. Well, I guess now I do have a viral video, but I don't have like a sex tape. You know, so we don't have, mm-hmm. we're not on TV because we had a sex tape. We're not on TV because we married some rich professional athlete. Uh, we're not on TV because we're some rich person, some famous person's baby mama, and that we actually have jo- jobs. So we, careers actually. So we, we're proud and humbled and honored to offer a different potential uh, mentor a role model for young people who may have thought the only way for them to live a nice life is to, you know, be on videos or whatever. Mm-hmm. Be on videos, marry a ball or those kind of things. Yeah. The traditional like things. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, and what I find really interesting is that um, oftentimes whenever you do see any shows that are involved in the legal aspect of, our society, you never really show the compassionate part of the attorney. You always see them being dogmatic and, and, you know, not being very feeling. And 
a lot of the episodes show how much you care about your clients. Each of you care about your clients and how you really are there trying to help them. And I, I think that's so nice because oftentimes when you do display black women on TV, you never see um, that type of emotion. You always see either they're uber cranky or, or really silly. Well, you know, actually, if if you watch so the shows that are really popular, Court TV, Twenty Twenty, Dateline, Forty Eight Hours, shows like that, it's always Law and Order. Those shows are extremely popular. They've been popular for a very long time after the OJ trial. And so, what is different about us is that we show it from the criminal defense perspective. The way you see shows generally, and watch this, you see it from the police's perspective. They're hunting down some person who did something. They committed some horrible crime, or at least you think they did, or from the victim perspective. I'm trying to find some, you know, this person who wronged me. And sometimes they get it right, and sometimes they get it wrong, or from the judge perspective. You never see shows from the criminal defense perspective, except that you'll see how people were wrongfully convicted or how people had a false confession after the fact, after the person's been locked up for however long. And we show you how we fight for our clients from that perspective because sometimes people do bad things, right, and, mm-hmm. and they need to be under the jail. But sometimes people make mistakes, and, and if you give them a chance, they'll never make a mistake again, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, sometimes people have addiction, and if you're rich, addiction isn't criminalized. You just go into some facility and, and, and get treatment, they let you out, like Sarah Foster's kid who should have been locked up but, but wasn't, as opposed to poor people whose addiction is criminalized. Mm-hmm. So we just wanted to show a different perspective. And we also want, you know, and we also hear all the time, oh, you know, you liars, you know, that's how they call lawyers, you liars, or, mm-hmm. you lawyers are liars. Or, I mean, if I had a dollar for every lying lawyer joke I heard or smart comment, I would probably be able to buy a car better than a Kia Soul. But, <laughs> you know, um, but so you get to see that not all lawyers are like that. And mm-hmm. and, and I've got to tell you, a lot of people don't like court-appointed lawyers. Juanita does PD work, public defender work, that's court-appointed. I do, as a self-employed person, I do some court-appointed cases. So I do free wall cases, which is where people hire me. And I do mm-hmm. court-appointed cases, which is where the courts appoint me because mm-hmm. my uncle told me that they got locked up because they had sell-out court-appointed lawyers. And because my uncle told me that they only got locked up because of sell-out court-appointed, or some of the times they got locked up was because of sell-out court-appointed lawyers, I pretty much said when I was a kid that I wanted to be a lawyer and, that I, and I didn't think that just because somebody was poor and they got a court-appointed lawyer that they shouldn't get Rolls-Royce defense. So, I, and that that's like my pro bono, that's my, you know, my public servitude is when I do court-appointed cases, you know, for people who are indigent, for people who don't have money. And I represent them as well as I represent people who pay me. So, mm-hmm. and it's so funny because sometimes I'll have court-appointed clients saying, oh, you know, I want to go up and hire a real lawyer. And I'm like, well, sweetie, I am a real lawyer. Yeah, but these court-appointed lawyers, and all I ask them is, you know, please don't pay me with the brush that, that other court-appointed lawyers that you've encountered have or what you hear about them. And most of my clients love me. 
every now and then I have a client who doesn't like me, but most of my clients love me. They, you know, so I'm the person when I walk in there, they're like, can I get you? Can you be my lawyer? And, you know, it's, it's you know, it's, it's my understanding it's a lottery, you know, mm-hmm. or who gets who. So, you know, in the last couple of weeks ago or last week, I mean, I've gotten like five quarter point cases thrown out. And, um, mm. you know, my clients swear by and I'll post that stuff on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. You know, my clients, if they want to, they can write something nice on the dismissal, and they do. So, I, you know, I fight hard for my clients. I, I, don't, I don't fight harder for you. You know, I fight the same hard for all of my clients, regardless of whether you're wealthy or whether you're poor. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you – you have your other outside involvements as well. How do you manage to juggle all of these things, have a personal life, and – still keep everything on track? Sometimes I think I'll, sometimes I know I bite off more than I can chew. So mm-hmm. when I have a lot of stuff to do, I do what my grandmother taught me, which is to focus 100% on the task at hand and complete the task. And, um, in fact, I did not realize that being on the school board was so time-consuming, especially since it's purely voluntary. We don't get paid one cent. And, but it's, like I have a whole other job. So I used to be, or I am currently on the State Democratic Executive Committee, which is the governing body for the Democratic Party in the state of Texas. I'm actually not running for re-election. That, um, we actually have our state convention starting tomorrow through Saturday, and I'm actually going to go and not run for re-election for that because being on the school board takes up so much of my time. I have a school board meeting in the morning before I leave for the convention. I you know, if I were like everybody else, I'd be leaving for the convention today, but I've got a school board meeting in the morning. Mm. And mm. Uh, before that, I was on the on city council. So I always managed to get talked into these public servitude jobs. And, you know, people say they love me on them, but it's really hard. And I sacrifice a lot. I sacrifice my girlfriend. Um, we would like to travel more, but I can't travel. Or we can't travel because I have this to do or that to do, and I'm obligated to do it. So I'm trying to free up some of my time so that I, you know, I work hard. I think I should be able to play hard. And so that's what I'm trying to do now. You know, I, I wasn't on the school board before. I didn't realize how, how time-consuming it is. So now I've got to take something off my plate, and that thing off my plate is going to be on the governing uh, body of the Texas State Democratic Party. So, mm-hmm. you know, you figure it out. If you find out more than you can choose, and you've got to figure out what you're willing to give up and give it up. Understood. Now, I wanted to ask you a question about, you know, being that you're on these boards and you really work for the public, how did the um, shooting in Orlando affect you as a a public servant? Well, it affected me a bunch of ways. I actually spoke last night at a vigil, um, and I actually had a vigil to go to tonight, but I'm not because I'm I'm interviewing with you, which is fine. But Thank you. Um, so I'm GLBT, right? Mm-hmm. So, of course, that hit me. Um, I also was married to a Colombian, and, my, and so my son is, is Afro-Latino. So mm-hmm. the fact that they decided to kill, you know, Latinos was sad to me. But at the end of the day, homophobia kills, hate kills. It kills gay people. It kills black people. It kills Hispanic people. Um, it even kills... Uh, Muslim people 
because they get branded that they're all, like, related to ISIS. And I think that we don't love enough, and it makes me really sad. And one of the reasons before I – and I've I've just realized within the last 10 months that I'm lesbian. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, That's another story for another day. I actually made the cover (laughs) of Curve Magazine, which is the most popular gay magazine in the country. So I'm proud to say that I made the cover of their Pride issue. But it – you know, before I knew I was GLBT, I was always an ally because I had a cousin and an uncle who were gay. Well, my cousin is a woman, so she was lesbian, and my uncle was gay. So I always supported gay people because I had family members who were. And then one of my friends or couple of my friend's kids committed suicide because of either perceived gayness or because their parents were gay and people teased them about it. And so I actually started fighting for gay rights back in the 90s um, as a public servant because I've, I've worked at the NAACP and I drafted wills for people who had full-blown AIDS, T-cell counts 200 or less. And that's when, and that was a time when they thought that you could catch AIDS by just being around people with AIDS or touching people with AIDS. And I would go to homes or apartments of people with AIDS and draft wills for them, especially GLBT people, because they would make families, you know, Say it's like two women who've been together for 30 years. One of them gets sick. You know, they have children together. They they build a life together. They have them together. And then when one of them is, gets sick, the family doesn't like they're gay. They decide to take the kids from the one who's living if that wasn't the person who, you know, bore the kids. And, and then take the property if the property was in one of the ladies' names and take the property as if their life didn't matter and as if it was wiped out. And I just thought it was important to preserve families, even if they were GLBT families. And so I did that type of work mm-hmm. as a law student and then as a, as a lawyer. So I've always thought that people were all the same. When I was in college and law school, I mean, I was a member of, in college, I was a member of MASO, the Mexican-American Students Organization. I literally picketed for United Farm Workers with Cesar Chavez when I was in college. And I was the only non-Latino who was a member of MASO. And people were like, well, Jolanda, are you dating a Mexican? I'm like, no. I mean, in my opinion, black and brown people have the same struggles. They may have a language barrier, right, and an immigration barrier. But at the end of the day, we're all treated like scum in this country. And so I've always thought that if we work together, um, we could accomplish more because united we stand and divided we fall. And, in fact, I'm fluent in Spanish. So – very often I go out and I do speeches in Spanish. I do Spanish language interviews on Univision and Telemundo all the time on, on issues. So, um, so I'm just, I've always, especially after I traveled with the USA track and field team, I've always considered myself a citizen of the world. Always. Okay. All right. And I mean, that is, that is, I guess that is the object of, what we're supposed to do and you're a prime example of what we should be doing as far as not just limiting ourselves to um, the protective bubble that I guess we are sometimes pushed into, but to break the bubble and expand ourselves so that we can be able to see the world from a different lens. And perhaps maybe like you said, we would love each other more. Oh yeah. I take differences as, as something special. I don't take differences as something bad. And, you know, and I always challenge 
norms anyway. You know, I, I think that uh, black people in particular need to embrace our Africanness. You know, I see so many people from Africa coming here, putting Ambion and bleaching their skin. And the question is why, when you see white people going and trying to get tans and be as dark as us or getting injections in their butts to have African, you know, features, but we're mm-hmm. trying to look Caucasian. That's one of the reasons why I cut my hair off. It was a symbol that, hey, why is the standard of beauty like long hair? You know, we, I don't have long hair. I don't have sh- straight hair. And so I embrace my Africanness. And, um, you know, I consider myself like, you know, an African queen. My mother taught me that we descend from kings and queens and warrior chiefs. They're not crackheads and drug dealers and, and thugs. So I choose to embrace, you know, that regalness. In fact, purple is one of my favorite colors because it, it stands for regality. And it was a color that if you look at all the, all the kings and, and leaders across the world and when they have those families, Purple is always in their crest because purple is not a naturally occurring color. So only the rich people could afford that color. And so, you know, I just I just choose to think that we're regal people. And, you know, we're kind people. That's why we were able to be enslaved because we trusted every damn body and, and we're trying to help everybody. And they were <laughs> being all mysterious and secretive and, and taking advantage of our kindness for weakness, which is why I do not allow people to mistake my kindness for weaknesses. My grandmother said, sweetheart, you, if you allow yourself to be a rug, people will step on you. So the second I realize that you have mistaken my kindness for weakness, then it's all like Donkey Kong. So <laughs> I just don't have time for that. You're laughing. I'm totally serious. <laughs> and it's refreshing because, you know, often people, oh, no, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And they really don't mean it, but... You know, it's refreshing oh, no, to hear someone say, it's not okay. <laughs> you know what? I actually give people the benefit of the doubt, and I allow them to do right. But if they continue to do the same thing, what is it that they say about insanity? If you do the same thing and expect a different result, then you're insane. So mm-hmm. if you do something, the first time you do something to me, and I also hear that's a trait of a Scorpio, a Scorpio, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'll I let you make it, I'll let you make it, I'll let you make it. But, boy, once that tail swings around, I'm done. You know, that's that's one reason why I have no use for Vivian. She's, you know, she's, I gave her time after time after chance after chance after chance to, to, to do right by me. She didn't. So, you know, so my my friends, you know, trying to make me be her friend, it's not happening. And that's just my Scorpioness, I guess. But I also think, again, as my grandmother said, my grandmother has never or she never, because she's no longer with us, never lied to me. Sweetheart, if you allow yourself to be a rug, people will step on you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't like being stepped on. So. Okay. Anyway. And I noticed, I, I saw the dynamic, how it played out in the various episodes, and I, I understand. And it was really interesting. And the way that you handled it was far different from the way other people would have handled it. On a reality show, no, which I also found quite refreshing. Well, I'm not going to hit nobody. I, I, I don't have time for all that. You know, I'll just ignore you, you know. I mean, basically, in my opinion, the whole first season was them trying to make me be friends with Vivian. Except for, you know, I have my own mind. And for me, words are really matter. You know, my dad killed himself. My Two of my uncles killed themselves. You know, I tried to, to kill myself when I was younger. Thankfully, I was 
you know, I tried pills and hit my head against walls because my childhood was so desperate and, 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 and tragic um, and, you know, being being molested by your uncle and stuff and, you know, your dad killing himself and, and you're just struggling. And so you can't take words back. And I'm an expert on domestic abuse, right? I'm a survivor of domestic abuse. And if you interview most women who are in abusive relationships, they tell you it's the verbal abuse that, that debilitates you more because at least hitting, and I'm not at all, at all condoning hitting at all, but in their mm-hmm. minds, it's, 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 it's the threat of physical violence is in your head, but when they tell you you're fat. My ex- I was in a decent relationship for six years. My ex-husband literally told me I was stupid. I've been a straight-A student my whole life. He told me I was fat. I've been this same size for like 35 years. Well, no, 30 years. I've been the same size. He told me I was fat. He told me I was used goods after I had my son. I got some stretch marks because I, I, I birthed my child. He told me they were, they were ugly, they were horrible, and I believe that. He told me no man would want me, you know, because I was used goods. I wasn't a virgin. And I stayed with him for six years because I didn't have confidence in myself. And that wasn't, yes, he beat me and strangled me, but not having confidence can stop you from achieving all kinds of things, and you've learned that because people tell you stuff. I remember one New Year's, the one person in the world I wanted to believe I was pretty was him. I remember one New Year's I got up and, you know, you're supposed to make New Year's resolutions, and it's supposed to start, how your, your New Year starts off is, is how your year is mm-hmm. going to be. And I'd gotten all dressed, put on makeup, and I was so excited, and I just wanted this New Year to start off well. And the first thing he said when the new year came in was, you know what? Your makeup is awful. You are just not pretty. It's the first thing mm. he said to me when the new year came. I was devastated. Mm. I started the year crying because the one person on this earth I wanted to love me and adore me didn't. So how does that relate to Vivian? Words matter. You know, so mm-hmm. if, 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 you, if you do something to me and, and you apologize and you don't mean it, that matters. You know, if you go say negative stuff about me to other people behind my back, and then when you get caught, lie about it, you know, you don't do that. And I was sitting up there, you know, with talking about, you know, who's a better lawyer. Well, I mean, objectively speaking, from a criminal defense standpoint, all my cases got thrown out. I mean, the murder case I did got thrown out. You know, my client who was an addict who's working on her recovery, that case got thrown out. You know, my client that was charged with beating a family member, he got time served on a misdemeanor. He was charged with a felony, so the 10 days he was locked up, or how, I don't remember how long he was locked up, he served his time. So if you're looking at whose client got the best deal, you know, my client didn't get 40 years in prison. Or, not that I'm saying anything about anybody else. I'm just saying, you know, how do you go put people down in my profession? You know, I worked very hard to be a good lawyer. I studied very hard. I sacrificed a lot to be a lawyer. For someone to go and talk about my skills as a lawyer, I got problems with that. And then when you go and you talk about my personal life, I have problems with that too. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to be friends. I, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I learned that from my grandmother too. So, <laughs> you don't get a lot of time to fool me. I'm just saying. Okay. Now, I mean, I've really enjoyed this conversation we're having, and um, I would love to have you back again. But first, 
I would like to know how can people kind of like follow you and and, and see what you're doing and, and find out the different things that you're involved in. I try real hard. So I'm on the Houston Independent School District School Board. So that you can actually watch those board meetings. It's my understanding that since I'm on, everybody watches them because I, like I said, my video video is viral because I'm very opinionated and I will fight to the death, figuratively speaking, for all children, not just the rich kids. So you'll see that. And I have social media, so I have, I actually have three Facebooks. I have Jolanda Jones, which is the one I primarily use. Then I have a public figure page, which is Jolanda Joe Jones, Joe with no E. Uh, that's the public figure page. And then I have another uh, Jolanda Jones that I, I started years ago, but somebody stole it. And so that's why I started this other one. And then after a couple of years, Facebook gave it back to me, which is crazy. It took me two years to convince them that I was me. <laughs> so I don't really use that one. It's exasperating. But I have a Twitter, and my Twitter handle is at Jones Jolanda. Jolanda spelled like Jolanda, but with a J. So it's J O L A N D A. And then my Instagram is at Jolanda Jones. And I, I, you know, I'm in my 50s, right? So I know I don't look it, but I am in my 50s. But I try to do. Social media, my son laughs at me because he doesn't think I'm, like, the best social media person. I try to use <laughs> the little, uh, you know, SMH and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. sometimes I'm really good and sometimes I'm not. But, I, I mean, I try to keep, you know, when stuff happens, when current events happen, I do that. When I do interviews, um, you know, I'll get copies of the interviews afterwards. I'll post them on there so you can always follow stuff. But I'm pretty high profile in Houston. And I was mm-hmm. before the show started, so somebody's always saying something about me. Don't always believe what you read because they lie uh, <laughs> half the time. Actually, 99% of the time. But um, but I'm an activist, so I'm always, you know, doing I, – I spoke last night at a, at a vigil. I, I was supposed to speak tonight, but I'm doing this interview, which is fine. And I went to another vigil before that, so I've, you know, I've done a number of vigils. So you can, you know, follow me. I'm – I think I'm pretty interesting. I do a lot in the GLBT community and the gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender uh, community. I do a lot in the Sungawa Black Power community because I'm just like that. Y también yo lucho mucho por los latinos porque somos humanos y somos iguales. And for those of you who don't understand what I just said, as I said in Spanish, I fight a lot in the Latino community because I believe we're all equal, we're all human, and... uh, and we just get to fight for each other because injustice to one is an affront to justice for all of us. And so I, I, I believe I'm my brother's keeper or I'm my sister's keeper, and if you mess with them, you mess with me. And I, as I said before, if you started, I'm going to finish it. So. All right. <laughs> all right. Now, I have to tell you, this has been, like, a very enlightening interview, and I'm so glad we had this opportunity. I would like to thank Monica for uh, allowing this to happen. And I wanted to know if your time permits, if you can come back and, you know, we can chat more because I'm sure we'll oh, have more going on. Great. Absolutely. I would love I mean, that. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm pleasantly surprised that I'm one of the popular ones on the show, like popular like they like me, not popular because everybody loves to hate me. I'm glad that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
<laughs> not me. It's not me. And I'm and I'm and I'm thankful that I, I tend to be, you know, the one they say is like the realist, like the girl Jenny on the block. Um, mm-hmm. I can say Jolanda on the block. So I'm I'm thankful for that because that's how I live my life transparently and like even with um on on in politics they say that I'm a different kind of politician. I tell you the truth. I tell you what I think, whether you, whether I think you're going to agree with me or not, and I'm hopeful that we'll have more in common than we don't, and I'm hopeful that over time that, you know, you'll end up supporting me. And I and I say that the first time I ran for office was in 03. I lost. I ended up getting elected to city council in 07. And I will tell you, the people that didn't support me in 03, even when I lost, I went to them and I said, you know what, you don't know me yet, but one day you're going to support me. I'm going to work really hard so that you support me. And all these years, lady, all these years later, if you try to do anything to me, to those elderly people who didn't support me because they thought I was young and they thought I wanted to, like, jump to the head of the line without doing, doing the work and fam I do, mm-hmm. those women will kill for me now. Kill. <laughs> you die high oh. supporters. Okay. Uh, absolutely, because you have to prove yourself to people. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes, indeed. So, I guess our time is done for now, but like I said, you're more than welcome to come back when your time permits, when your schedule is free, and, you know, we can continue our dialogue because there's so many more things, and I know there'll be another season of Sister-in-Law, so there'll be more things to talk about as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely, and also, you know, I, I, I actually fly around the country and speak. I've been flying around the country and speaking. I've, I've probably spoken in every state in the union. Um, All right. On on various things, uh, life skills, networking, uh, you know, self-improvement, overcoming obstacles, conflict resolution, education, literacy, and I've been doing it since 1994. In fact, there are some speeches of mine on my Facebook and on YouTube. Um, so, you know, people can always, you know, book me to do those types of things as well. Okay, that's good to know. That's really good to know. Excellent, excellent. So, um, I always end my show with um, kind of like recapping everything that we've learned here today because I believe mm-hmm. that every interview that I do is a learning lesson and a lesson to learn something. And basically what I'm coming out of this particular situation is, um, and I want my listeners to know, that you have to be true to yourself and you have to enjoy what you do because when you do that, not only do you bless yourself, you bless so many other people. And Jolanda Jones has shown us how easy it is to just be true to who you are and allow that to be what walks before you before you walk in a room. And you got to take care of yourself and you got to be good to yourself because if you don't take care of you, nobody else is going to be able to do it. Well, that's true, except for there's one thing I'd like to respectfully disagree with you on. I don't think it's always easy when you're trying to figure out who you are to be true to yourself because there's a lot of pressure Mm -hmm. to be like other people want you to be. So you actually, Mm -hmm. if you can find the courage within yourself to be true to yourself, then I think your walk is easier. There you go. So that's a teachable moment. Yes, it is. There you go. I just learned something too. And I thank really, you. Because people always want for you to do stuff, and it would just be easier for you to just to make them happy to be somebody or not. And once you figure out, and as perfect example, and I know this is the end of your show, when I realized I was lesbian, I had all these struggles, and I had all these perceptions. People aren't going to vote for me. People aren't going to like me. People are going to judge me. 
And a lady told me a long time ago when I started thinking, okay, I might be lesbian. She said, Lord, if anybody can be elected and be lesbian, it's you. And and when I decided to just be embrace who I am, I didn't have one problem. People like, oh, I do it all the time. I'm like, oh, really? Okay, whatever you say. And so I thought that there was going to be this big old war against me, and there just hasn't been. So, mm-hmm. so a lot of times the barriers we have are in our mind. So you got to push through that. All right, all right. So to each and every one of my listeners, I hope you enjoyed the show because. I really did enjoy it, and um, I'm glad we had this opportunity. I'm glad we had the opportunity to really get to know Jolanda Jones. It has been indeed a pleasure tonight. As always, take care of yourself, and God bless. Thank you, you, and thank you to your listeners. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. For more content, visit us at thecocoexpressshow.com. Love-